How's it going? I'm Dante. Um, I hope everybody's having a blessed Sunday. I'm going to be reading the scripture today. Uh, this is from Luke 2, 8 to 20. And there were shepherds in the same region, living out of doors and keeping watch, guarding over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord stood near them. And the glory of God shone around the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news to you of great joy, which will be for all the people, that today a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, among people with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has revealed to us. And they went hurrying and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the statement that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were astonished concerning what had been said to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. This is God's word. Before we start, I need to uh, publicly confess a uh, pretty egregious error that was in my sermon last week, brought to my attention by uh, Garrett, who's, you know, very slow to point out inaccuracies in my sermon. So I know this was difficult for him to point out. Um, he mentioned that uh, about 7,000 times during my sermon last week, which was about uh, the interesting fact that Jesus was not actually from Judea, which was the region that Jerusalem was in, but he was from Galilee, which is northern to the region, uh, an area that the, t the people from Judea tended to look down upon. And I said about eight different times that Jesus was born in Nazareth. And now Jesus was from Nazareth. His parents were from Nazareth. He was raised in Nazareth, but he was not born in Nazareth. Now, I understand how uh, that could be an unforgivable mistake. So I certainly just, you know, lay myself down for all of you guys. If you'd like to, you know, yeah, if you'd like to just boycott the rest of my sermon, I would fully understand. Put, put your uh, noise canceling headphones on at this time. <laughs> I was like, what happened? All right. Well, hey, you're going to have to edit that in the recording. So that's, uh, that's on you, Andrew. Funny guy. Funny guy. All right. Elders, make notes. We're going to talk about this at our next meeting. All right. Well, the, uh, the story that we're in tonight is going to connect us closely to Bethlehem, where, as we all know, Jesus was born, not Nazareth. And uh, we're going to focus on the story of the shepherds. And there's a lot to get into here, uh, which I'm really excited to explore. So last week, we looked at the story specifically of Mary and Joseph. We talked about how, like I said, Nazareth was a small, very, very small town 
with not the best of reputations in its area. And so the fact that Mary and Joseph would be the parents of the coming Messiah was a really big deal. And even more so, to be from Galilee, which is where Nazareth was, was to be kind of like a nobody. Like this was not where the religiously significant Jews who revered the temple, who revered the scriptures, this is not where they lived. This was actually where the more affluent Jews would live during this time. And so last week we cracked open our Near Eastern history textbooks and we explored things like language and culture and all those things, all to talk about how this was God revealing his heart for the nobodies of the scripture and the nobodies of humanity. And so uh, I, even, I even joked about making my sermon title last week to the losers and nobodies, which I actually thought was going to fly until literally as I'm driving out of the parking lot, Mike calls me and says, so what are we actually naming this sermon? And I said, okay, all right. Well, it's the reason Mike's the creative director. It's probably for the best. So At this point in history where we're at today, several months have passed since Mary's pregnancy was announced, and she's close to full term. She is living in Nazareth at this point, but they hear a message from one of the big head honcho politicians that they necessarily need to come down to their place of family significance so they can register in a census. Many of us, I'm sure, know this story. So Mary and Joseph come down to Bethlehem, which is where Joseph's family is from, uh, which is a city outside Jerusalem. And Mary goes into labor there, and she gives birth to baby Jesus. Nearby, there's a handful of shepherds who are working the fields close to this area. This was standard practice for shepherds, especially during this time of year. They were pretty much on 24-hour care, so even at night, there would be a handful of shepherds who would stay awake to watch over the sheep, to look out for predators, to just, you know, look out for thieves. And then they would kind of take shifts for sleeping. And an angel appears before them and announces that he has news of great joy, that today a Savior, Christ the Lord, will be born in the city of David. And so they go and they see baby Jesus and their hearts are full. Shepherds have an interesting history in this time period as well, and we'll go into that a little bit, so bear with me. It's interesting that um, when we look at the history of Israel, we can start by going all the way back to Abraham, and he's like the head honcho of Judaism. All all of, even if you look at uh, Christianity, Judaism, and even Islam, they would all consider Abraham, Abraham the center of their faith. So Abraham is in the very, very beginning of where Israel was. And during this time, Israel didn't really have a homeland. They were largely a nomadic people, which meant that they were travelers. They were always moving around. They didn't settle in one place for very long. So during this time, uh, to be a shepherd was actually really ideal because shepherds are travelers. Shepherds want to maximize the land that their sheep and their goats can graze on. So being able to move around is really ideal. 
So during the early times of Israel's history, everyone liked shepherds because everybody was a shepherd in some way. You had to keep your animals close. You had to care for them, look after them, watch out for predators. It wasn't just that they liked shepherds. It's that everyone was in some way a shepherd. All of that would change in this nation's history when they would go into Egypt. And this wasn't even during the period of time when they were enslaved, which we all kind of think of when we think of the Exodus story. When Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, brought a lot of the Israelites into Egypt, there was a big cultural clash there. See, Egypt wasn't a nomadic country. They didn't roam around. They were very well established. And they were an agricultural society, which means that they mostly used farms. And farms don't move. Farms are big plots of land where you, you know, you plant, you sow, you harvest, but you don't move around. Moving around is not ideal for a farmer. And I learned something during my sermon prep this week that I never thought I would learn which is that apparently before the Crips and the Bloods, before the Packers and the Vikings, before all of the great rivalries, there were farmers and shepherds. They have just historically never liked each other. And I found that really, really fascinating because the reason is, and I can only imagine, shepherds have to consume tons and tons of land through the grazing of their animals. And if you have like one designated plot where you're growing whatever, and then one guy has 500 sheep and goats that are roaming around eating plants, what's necessarily going to happen is those animals are going to eat and destroy your, your crops, your livelihood. And so there's just this tension that's happened for thousands of years between shepherds and farmers. I kid you not, if you Google the phrase sheep wars, you will hear about a 50-year conflict that happened about a hundred and so years ago in our country. It was an armed conflict between shepherds and cattle farmers about the land that their animals were able to graze over. Like a couple hundred people died. Like... <laughs> This is, how, this is how rich of a rivalry this is. So all that to say, when Israel would settle with Egypt, they started to kind of shift in their opinions on shepherds. At this point, to be a shepherd was no longer necessary for survival. It was actually to be kind of a detriment on the survival of your country and on your people. As Israel's culture would continue to develop, shepherds were consistently seen as worse and worse over time. They started to be seen as not just um, separate, but as outcasts in society. They were seen as uneducated. They were eventually classified as religiously unclean because of their proximity to animals and dead things and feces. They were starting to be categorized as second-class citizens. Rabbis during later time periods would make it illegal for shepherds to move across their land unless it was specifically desert plains, 
where I imagine it'd be very hard to be a shepherd because there's not much for the sheep and goats to eat. In some areas, it was even forbidden to buy from a shepherd because they would assume that anything a shepherd had to sell you were stolen goods. There became not just this social negativity. It was, it was almost like shepherds were seen as intentionally gross, like they were criminals. They weren't people worth associating with. It wasn't something to be, a, to be aspiring for, to be a shepherd. It would not be a stretch to call shepherds outsiders. They were. They were unliked. They were looked down upon. They were smelly. They were dirty. And then I also think of the practical side of it. A lot of shepherds were raised in shepherd households and by shepherd families, which means that if your entire life you've been outside with animals and probably one or two people around, your social skills are probably a little lousy. Talking to people might be a little difficult. Just understanding how society works could be a little stunted. You live in almost complete isolation. Again, to call shepherds outsiders would not be a stretch. And so here we have in this story this single inevitable truth, which is that when baby Jesus was born, when the word took on flesh and entered into time and space in a little cold space in Bethlehem, born to two nobodies, Mary and Joseph. The first people, the angels of heaven, wanted to tell were a handful of shepherds. And as I meditated on that this week, I thought to myself, what does it matter that a shepherd would be considered unclean. Because who can be unclean to the great healer who our God is? What does it matter that the shepherds were unloved by the communities they were a part of? Who, Who can be unloved by the God who calls himself love? And those fields, those shepherds were not just twiddling their thumbs waiting for the sun to arise. They were waiting on their God in more ways than one. And in that posture of humble patience, the Spirit of God sought them out and shared with them beautiful news. It's interesting to think that to God, there is no outsider. There are no outsiders to God. And so all that leads me to my only point today. I only have one. And it's this. Don't leave the outsiders outside. Don't leave the outsiders outside. We've spoken several times about this idea of being an outpost as a church. Again, just to explain, that means that we're we're committing as a church in our ministry as, as leaders, we're, we're formulating what it looks like to create a church that looks like this, a church that welcomes people 
that may not be comfortable in a lot of other churches in our city. We want to open our doors to the spiritually jaded and increasingly disinterested because they may not go to other places. We want to make a table for those who were at one point very, very passionate about their churches, but through whatever circumstances, be them life, leadership, or otherwise, were hurt. We want them to seek a place of refuge here who maybe couldn't go somewhere else. We want to create a place where people who have never been able to explore church from the inside could come in and not feel like an outsider or an outcast to not maybe stand and sing the songs, but just sit and observe from afar. We want to create that place because it might not exist elsewhere. So that means that on paper, our community might not gel for every single Christian, and that's perfectly okay. This, this, this approach to this ministry is not our way of saying we believe that we have a monopoly on the gospel. We don't, by no means. There's other churches all throughout our city that we love and are beautifully doing some great things for the kingdom. This is not about us hoisting ourselves up as some kind of beautiful anomaly. We're just trying to serve an area that we see often unserved. But it does mean that there's a burden of responsibility on our shoulders. And it's that we have to have a door open to the outsiders. If the equivalent of a shepherd came into Mission Church today, I think they would probably be a little socially awkward, <laughs> probably a little culturally disconnected, maybe not with any uh, streaming networks on their Roku at home, maybe not an Instagram, maybe just kind of hard to talk to at some points. But I thought to myself, these shepherds who had been rejected and treated so poorly all their lives, could you imagine what it would be like to have this beautiful embrace with the divine God and all of his messengers? Literally, they saw the sky full of angels singing songs to Jesus before they saw him as a little baby. Could you imagine those same people not even being able to find a community that would accept them afterwards? to have such a beautiful interaction with the love of God and then not being able to experience that same thing from his own people? That's what we're battling. We're, we're trying to, to, to make sure that those who are seeking God's face are able to receive the love of the church. You know, we always say, and I, and I believe it's true, that the church is the hands and feet of God. It is, it, is the, it is the physical representation of the love of God for his people. But again, the burden of that is what happens when someone gets beaten up by the church. What happens when somebody gets neglected and left behind by the church? What does that person walk away thinking about God? in many cases. I remember for many years, 
I attended a church. I started going there in high school. I started getting connected there when I had just become a Christian. And it was a small church on the east side. Um, I had a few really, really close friends going there. And it was, in many ways, it it really helped me grow. It really helped me see Christ and and God in a a more clear way. It was awesome. And as the years passed, I had some really good friends there leave, most of them just by moving, going different places. And at a certain point, I realized that I would show up to church and just feel like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this in school, but it'd be like, uh, you know, turn to your partner and work on this project together. And you're sitting here and your person to the left starts talking to their left and the person to the right starts talking to their right. And you're like, oh, shoot, I got nobody. This is awkward. Like, that's what every Sunday started to feel like for me. Um, and I understand, like, it was a much older church. Honestly, it was like the polar opposite of what mission is. And... I, in some ways, I want to charitably think maybe they just didn't know how to talk to a 21-year-old kid. But I remember I had a conversation with the pastor, who's still a man I have a lot of respect for today. And he invited me to his home, and he, he made me coffee. We sat on his back patio, and we talked about life and a lot of great things. It was a good conversation. And I said, Pastor... Sometimes I feel like a ghost at this church. Like, I don't feel like anybody wants to talk to me here. And I don't want a lot. I just want to feel like I'm part of something here. And my pastor said, and this is one of those comments where I don't think I'll forget it. He said, John, I understand how you feel. And I understand that's probably really hard for you. He said, but I don't think that's something that's going to change. So if you'd like to leave, you have my blessing to do so. I remember thinking like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like he's, he's, he's giving, he's, he's releasing me from my member contracts. Like he's, he's given me the push out to greener pastures. But I think as I really reflected on it, I thought to myself, he could have said something, Right? So I'm going to say to all of you guys who are so kindly listening, what I wish my pastor would have stood up and told this church many years ago, don't leave the outsiders outside. Please. As we close, I'd like to just meditate on a few passages of Scripture There was one man in the history of Israel who understood the ways of the shepherd very well, and his name was David. And David, uh, if there was ever a guy who could do positive PR for shepherds in Israel, it was him because he was a shepherd before he had the greatest promotion of all time, which is to the king of Israel. I find it really funny. This is like such a random aside, but in that moment when Nathan the prophet was calling Uh, David to repentance, he used an example of somebody who was stealing sheep from someone else. And I just think it's so funny that this prophet is thinking, how am I going to bring this up to this guy? Like, how am I really going to, I'll make a sheep example. Yeah, he really gets the sheep stuff. Okay, this is a good move. So I love that. David just thought in terms of sheep. He was just a sheep man through and through. And uh, 
David was a man who's had a, who has, he's a man after God's own heart. And his life through his highs and his lows would meditate on the goodness of God in some truly remarkable ways. And David wrote a song that many of us know. It was Psalm 23, which says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. I could go on. David was a man after God's own heart. And what I think is a beautiful thing about this story from Luke that we spent time in today is that even as the love of God shown to these shepherds reminds us of our call to love the outsider, them being shepherds is like this little Easter egg that's planted in our hearts that says, But don't forget the real shepherd. Don't forget that the Lord is our shepherd. And the beautiful irony is that these men were standing around in the middle of the night watching after their sheep, not knowing that their shepherd was coming to retrieve them. So as we think to love all of the people in our lives who we see as those runaway sheep, who we see as those outsiders that God has given us this ability to to love and to care for and to speak to. Let's take the same posture that these shepherds had, which was to wait patiently for their shepherd to come to them. And so many, many years after David would write Psalm 23, Jesus would say to his followers, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. So Jesus has called us to his table, all of us who were outsiders and strangers to him. Jesus has laid his life down as a good shepherd only could. He's shepherded us, he's provided for our needs, and he's promised to stand alongside us in all of the darkest times. And he's promised that a time will come when our sufferings and difficulties as sheep and foolish men, women, and children, all of that would come to an end. He has laid his life down for us so that we may lay down our lives for him as we lay down our lives for each other. As we look at the gospel, we see that Jesus has not left the outsiders outside. So may we go and do likewise. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, God, we thank you for um, seeking us out. We thank you for meeting us where we are, for seeing us in our lowly condition in great need, and in great vulnerability, and for loving us, and for thinking of us, and for dying for us, and all the things you have to shepherd us back into your care. So Lord, as we have received the love of a good shepherd, may we also think, who are the lost that are around us, who are in our church, in our family? Who are those who need to see 
the love that you have for them as well. And God, when our strength fails us and when we feel like we're just unable to carry on and, and to perform at the, at the level that you expect from us, we remember that ultimately you are the great shepherd that we're waiting for. You're the one that gives us our strength. You're the one that meets us where we are. So uh, please give us peace and hope and courage in days to come. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.